So we're looking at a passage today in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, um, written by a guy named John Mark, and it's the life of Jesus. And really, it's, it's not only the longest, most vivid, detailed account in the gospel of Mark, but it's the longest, most detailed, vivid account in the entire Bible of any exorcism of any demons. So I remember when uh, we talked about preaching this passage or preaching through the gospel of Mark, actually, if someone came up to me and said, um, that's really awesome. Like, are you going to go like verse by verse and are you just going to fly over it? And I said, actually, we're going to go verse by verse. And he goes, well, good luck with chapter five. <laughs> but I know that, that in, if you've been reading with us in the early parts of God, Mark's gospel, that there's been a lot of like demonization. Um, there's a lot of like, um, oppressed people, possessed people. And Jesus constantly, that's part of his, his ministry in the Gospel of Mark, is to cast out demons out of people, to set captives free. And a part of it, what we say a lot of times at Live Free Church, is that we really believe that free people free people. That, that when you are free in Christ, that you want to see other people free. But we live in a society, whether or not you like it or not, that we live in a society that's focused on, on supernatural evil. Wouldn't you say that's true? Right? That we live in a society that's constantly focused on it. This thing about any movie that comes out of Halloween. You look at like the horror section on Netflix. Like there is a fixation on supernatural evil. That our society, our culture would say there is a supernatural evil in our world. A few years ago, I gave my daughter like a, a glue gun and cardboard boxes I said, just go wild. And she just built this, like, she started like, this little structure. And started, she built out and out and out and out this big, huge structure. Evie, seven years old, just building this, like, you know, hot glue um, house. Kept on adding wings here and there and everywhere to it. And I come home one day, and, uh, and my son was, like, really into, like, graffiti art, right? Like, he's into, like, tagging things. So he'd, like, write, you know, things on, like, little boxes or piece of paper in his, in his bedroom. And I come home, and I'm, and I'm helping Evie, like, hot glue this little house. Well, actually, it was a big house at that point. And uh, there was a word on it. And it was demon. And I was like, oh, this is, I'm like, what is this? Like, maybe, like, alliteration, she misspelled the word. And she goes, it's, it's the word demon. And I said, well, can you tell me more about this? So we were talking about this all the time at school, demons. We're talking about demons all the time. And I was like, you are. What are you talking about? Like, what does a, a grade one or a kindergarten talk about when they talk about demons? Right? And she goes, well, my friends think they're real. And I said, oh, interesting. I'm like, do your friends think that God is real? She goes, I don't know. I'm like, we should ask him that. Right? I think so often that we live in a society that, especially in Kelowna, that believes that there's supernatural evil. But if you believe in supernatural evil, you have to believe in the exact opposite of it, that there's a supernatural good. There's a supernatural God. Right? For Christians, I think it's the complete opposite. Right? You have to actually, if you believe in a supernatural God, you have to believe in a supernatural evil. Do you see there's a kind of like a, a polarization? See, I think about in our society, so often... That people say, well, you know, God couldn't exist. And it's perfectly logical to say that, there's, that demons wouldn't exist. But if you're like most people, I think people in Kelowna, believe that there is a God, that God does exist. Even they might not know him as Jesus, they might know him as a creator, a being. 
They believe that there is a supernatural force in, in the world. I think Kelowna is very open to, G, to God, actually to Jesus, but they're very apathetic about who he is. You see, it's illogical and irrational to believe that supernatural good couldn't exist. Right? We, we all believe that there is some that created us. We're not like some cosmic accident or mistake. But if supernatural good exists, supernatural evil has to exist. It may be say, well, I can't believe in demons because it's, in this society, it's a primitive society that the Bible was written in. Right? That, that, that we're way more complex now, that, that we actually are way more nuanced, that we understand how a medical system works and, and mental health works. And, and in the society the Bible was written, they didn't understand how things worked. Well, that's not really true. You see, before biblical times, that things were very simple, but in the, the way this, the Bible was written, there is a complexity, there's a nuance. That actually in Matthew chapter 4, verse 20, chapter, chapter 4, verse 24 says that as Jesus' ministry spread, people brought him the ill, the demon-possessed, the lunatics, the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Just think about that for a second. So often when we talk about, about demonization or demons, so often we're talking about the fact that we're way more complex, that we would never encounter something like that because maybe the Bibles were in a time where they just, they just put it all together. But in Matthew's gospel, that's not the case. He compartmentalized the ill to the demon possessed to lunatics, to the paralyzed, and healed them all. See, what Jesus is really understanding, the gospel writers are trying to teach us, is that that Jesus healed the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. That he has power over all those things. He has power over the physical. Just like last week we talked about this, about the storm, calming the storm. He is the Lord of every storm. But he also calms, he actually heals the emotional and the spiritual. You see, the Bible is very nuanced. It's very, it's written to a society, a culture that knew what it looked like. Like Luke was a physician, if you read his gospel account. They're not just lumping all this as, oh, it's just deemed possession. They're actually showing that there's a, a bigger part of, of a person, of a spiritual battle. You see, I think Christians today, one thing before we get this passage, I want us to understand is that if you're a Christian, you need to understand today, if you believe in Jesus, that there's a war going on. That's what I think we need to understand. That there is a spiritual battle at work. If you don't know God, but you believe in demons, you have to understand that there, if there's a supernatural evil, there's a supernatural good. There's a supernatural God who loves you, who pursues you, and wants to free you. But here's what I'm going to look at break down this, today this passage, is what is the evil in the world? And how do we deal with that evil? How can Christ overcome that evil? And let's go to Mark chapter 5, verse 1. In your Bibles, if you have them, we use the CSB. It's a translation we use. Someone said to me, just like, there's so many translations out there. They say, why do you use this translation? Just recently, we use it because it's the most 
readable, accurate translation. I also love the ESV. Um, I was raised with the NIV, which is also a great translation, but it's a translation we use. I like it. Um, we think it's a great, great word-for-word translation. Here it says in verse, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met them. He lived in the tombs, but no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with the chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so we may enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported to the town in the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. See, those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs, and then they began to beg him to leave their region. And as he's getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with them, with him. Jesus did not let him but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. What a crazy passage. You see, this text kind of shows us, it teaches us how the evil pattern of, is actually established in the world, but in our lives. You know, in this translation, it says an unclean spirit, a man with an unclean spirit, but in other translations, it says that there's a man who is demon-possessed. And when you look at the original Greek, it's not just a possession, it's a demonization, it's saying. You see, so often to say, oh, that poor demon-possessed person but in the translation, in the, in the Greek, it's saying, actually, no, the demonization of this man looked like this. Right? So it makes you, it makes you realize that, that could have happened to us. What does it look like to be demonized? Because there are people out there who are demonized. Or maybe you've gone through a season where you felt like there's major oppression. James chapter 3, verse 14 says, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where there is envy and self-ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. See, when you look at what Satan wants to do, when you look at what the war we're at, is that God wants, as he's working on us, as he's perfecting us, changing us, thing called sanctification, that you're slowly and constantly becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. When that is actually working out in your life, there's a, another force in the world that wants to thwart that, come against it. You say, well, what is this pattern? You see, look at the passage. There's a detailed description of what it looks like. A man who lived in the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with a chain, for he'd been, often been chained by hand and foot, but the, he tore the chains off and broke the irons on his feet and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night among the tombs and the hills, he'd cry out and cut himself with stones. This past week, I was talking to my kids about this passage. I said, I'm, I'm preaching on a passage. And they said, what, what is it, Dad? I'm like, oh, it's about, about demons. And Beckett, my son's like, is it the one where the guy cuts himself with stones? I was like, what? <laughs> of all that, that's what you pick up. But I want you to think about one thing in this passage. I want you to consider one thing. That when this man makes a pact with evil, when he, when he becomes demonized, when he makes an agreement with a lie in his life, he becomes empowered. He has greater strength, a kind of superhuman strength that nobody can subdue him. He gets enormous power from having made a pact with evil, with a demon. At the same time, he's enslaved. Do you see that? He has this incredible power, and yet at the same time, he's incredibly enslaved. See, his humanity is being like torn apart, eaten from the inside out. He doesn't know who he is anymore. He has multiple personalities. He's, they say he has multiple demons, legion. See, he has a greater empowerment, but at the same time, an inner enslavement, a loss of self, a sense of his self. I want to hear it more time. He has a greater empowerment, but at the same time, inner enslavement and loss of his sense of self. You say, maybe it's like, oh, that can never happen to me. Or I would never lose my sense of self. You see, they say that so often for a lot of people, the worst moment in their lives is when they get the exact thing they've been looking for their whole life. They say that for hockey players and, and, and players who just won the Super Bowl last week, the worst moment in their life is when they actually win the thing that they've been working for their whole life since when they're six years old, you know, playing football with their, their dad as a coach, and eventually they get the thing, and then now what? Now what are they going to do with their lives? But maybe they've slowly and surely, as you've climbed the ladder of your career or a property ladder or a career ladder, that little by little you've been Maybe throwing jabs at people, thwarting them, being selfish, envious. How come they get to do this? How come this church grew this size? How come I don't have this kind of house? You see, what happens is here's how it starts, and it starts with sin. For this great book this past year, my friends gave me called the relational soul. And it says that sin all starts 
with the disbelief that God would never provide that for you in him. See, whatever your heart desires, it's so easy to say, I'm going to take it. I'm going to achieve it. I'm going to manufacture it because I don't believe that God is good enough to maybe in his timing, in his glory, in his love, to provide for me what I really need. C.S. Lewis has this great quote about sin, how it's, it's so slippery in our lives. It says, It does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to the edge of to edge the man away from the light. See, murder is no better than car- no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one, a gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. You see, when you want to know where this man who was demonized, where it started, it started with sin. It started with brokenness. It starts with unconfessed sin. Like maybe some of you in this room need to say, hey, I actually, I need to confess some sin to someone, not so it can atone you or save you. That's not the point. Just so that as James says, we should confess our sins to one another so we may be healed. There is something powerful about confession. I think in our church, we've, in church in North America, we've lost a confessional nature. A year ago, I went to this retreat up in Vernon called Fairhaven. And a guy who came up and he kind of led a spiritual retreat for me. And um, he did this thing where it's like, it's a, called a total confessional. And um, he led it. And I remember getting up there and I was like, yeah, like, you know, you can come up for an hour and a half maybe. And uh, he goes, oh, like, have you ever done this before? And I was like, no, like, I don't really know what this means. And he's like, you're actually like, you're going to share all the sin. And we're going to pray and, and God's going to cover that. And I was like, okay, cool, great, that's fine. Um, a little bit nervous and anxious because I don't know, have, have, I've never done this before. I'm sure maybe you haven't done that either. And he gets up there in this retreat center and, and he goes, um, so we have like how many hours together? <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, I thought this was going to take an hour. I have an hour. And he goes, it's going to be like more like four to five hours. I was like, wow, like where are we starting? <laughs> and we confessed and he let me start my story and I confessed and confessed and confessed and confessed sin and brokenness in my life. And there was something so freeing about confessing sin that had no attachment to me anymore. There was like no, had no hold on me anymore. But I confessed it to a friend who loved me, who said, Jesus forgives you for that. He forgives you. And I think sometimes for me, from my childhood or whatever circumstance I came from, it's easy to hold on to bitterness and resentfulness and envy to harbor it. You see, in a Baptist circle, we say so often that, that maybe we won't talk about possession or oppression. We'll call it strongholds in your lives. Things that Satan has, has held in your life. I mean, this book just recently called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And this guy, Peter Cesario, was talking about the, the fact that as a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for 10 years or 5 years or 35 years, but maybe emotionally you've grown as like a one-year-old. 
I think spiritually, I wonder also for us sometimes, when the Bible talks about something like confessing our sins to one another, it doesn't mean that in a community group you should go do that, but maybe with one person to say, hey, can we just talk about some things that maybe I've held on to from my childhood? From my teen years, from, from my last year, from yesterday. I'm just going to confess some things. All this journey for me of, of confessional living, which I'm not perfect with this, it feels like it's like, you know, pushing, pulling a dog somewhere they don't want to go. That's what I feel like. And it all started in a cafe at Third Space in Kelowna. And I was sitting down for coffee with someone, and this, a friend of mine confessed something to me, and I said, yeah, me too. And they was like, what are we going to do about this? I said, I don't know, help me. You see, that's a confessional life, that we get to live a life out, confessed sin. You see, strongholds happen when we don't confess our sin, when we keep secrets. My friend used to always say, secrets always seep out over time. But it gets asked in the question, is that how does Jesus defeat evil? He doesn't just leave this man demonized, right? Like there's an incredible story here. You see, we defeat evil. Jesus defeats the evil in this world. But we have to realize that we can, that where is the source of this power? And how do we connect to the power that is Jesus? You see, when Jesus, when he saw that Jesus from a distance, he ran to him. Now, when you look at the word legion in the Bible, I know I've heard this word numerous times. And so often it talks about like, is it eight? Is it 10? Um, here's a man who's possessed, he's demonized by a lot of demons. The word legion in the Roman world really means something like 6,000 men. In Julius Caesar's time, it was 3,500. By the end of the Roman Empire, it was 8,000. It's thousands. But yet when this man was possessed by, by a legion of demons, when he gets in the presence of God, he gets down on his knees and it's the most interesting thing that Jesus says to this man, just like when he calms the storm in the last week's passage, right? He says, silence, be still. Very simple. It's like talking to a child. Jesus talks like that to a, to a storm, to a hurricane, like a, like a parent talks to a child. In the same way, with, with a legion of evil, when it comes to his door, what does he say? Come out. Come out. Does it have to like, conjure something? so subtle and so simple. You have to realize that we have all kinds of examples of exorcisms in history. That not just in the Bible, but in literature in the near Middle East, especially Egyptian literature, we have all kinds of descriptions of how to cast out demons and deal with evil spirits. But what Jesus does here is so unprecedented, I want you to think about this for a second, that nowhere else up to this point that when you look at ancient literature, they're always trying to like go to a higher power to conjure up power to cast out something. It's interesting that 
The devil tries to do with Jesus because when the man comes running, he falls down and says, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, swear to God. He's trying to like get beyond Jesus <laughs> to authority. To, so the demon's actually trying to go to a higher power than Jesus. Swear to the father, swear to God that, that you won't destroy us. Don't torture us. See, he's actually calling on a higher power, but you have to realize that when Jesus approaches this demon, he doesn't have to call to any higher power. He is the highest power. Just like he calms a hurricane, when Jesus comes to a legion of demons, he calms them. Come out. I think for us, so often people approach these kind of passages in my kids when they approach these kind of things in their lives. There's so much fear and mystery and scarcity. That's so easy to feel afraid. But I want us to realize that when you know Jesus, you have a higher power that he'd have to call on anything else. He'd have to conjure up anything else. He just approaches this demon and says, come out. And what does it look like for you and I when, when we actually understand that there's a higher power, Jesus? I think it looks like that Jesus has the higher power over our souls. That all the wealth in the world isn't worth a human soul. It's amazing. A large herd of pigs was there feeding the hillside. The demon begged him, send us to the pigs so we may enter them. And he gave him permission. The unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs. A herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. See, 2,000 pigs... I'm not a farmer, right? Like when I was a kid, my parents, my, my stepdad wanted to have three pigs, right? There was a lot of money for just three pigs, not 2,000 pigs. What I want you to realize is that, that Jesus is the higher power over our souls, but it's worth it for him for everything. Like think about it. It's, it's worth a fortune to save someone, to free someone. It's worth losing 2,000 pigs, any possession over any kind of oppression. You see, all your wealth, all your possessions isn't worth losing your soul over. All your fame that you want isn't worth losing your soul over. And Jesus is saying here in this passage is that you are worth being free. That I've come to save you, to die for you. Jesus has a higher power over sin and evil. Just like he calms the storm, there's a really cool passage in, well, in verse 15 where it says, They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon possessed sitting there dressed in his right mind. They were afraid. <laughs> Just like when Jesus calmed the storm last week, the disciples were more afraid of Jesus' power. Again here, there's a man who is terrorizing a region and there he is, just sitting in his right mind, fully healed. And they're even more scared. They're more terrified. Because if that is earthly power, there is supernatural power that I don't even understand that transforms and changes people. The last point is I bring the band up. How Jesus is the higher power in us sharing our stories. 
I don't think you have to be afraid of anything demonic if you know Jesus. But you have to understand there's a battle going on. That when we look at Jesus' ministry, when he's healing the demonized, he's healing the, usually people who are Jew-fearing, Jew-fearing people. People who, who knew the Torah, who knew the prophets, who knew the law. But this passage, when, when Jesus heals them, and he says so deeply, I want to follow you. I want to get in the boat with you. Let me come with you. Please let me go with you. What he says here is, no, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. You see, you want to know the best evangelistic strategy of this church isn't reading a book. It isn't doing a course. It's not sitting down saying, hey, let's just go and like reach people. It's saying, actually, no, let's go into the communities and do exactly what this person did. Let's go into the community and share with people how we were lost and now we're found, how actually the Lord has seen us has have mercy on us because we are just like anyone else. The hardest person to lead a live free church is when I wake up every morning and look at myself in the mirror. That's the hardest person to lead here. I think you have to realize is that your story of not how great you are, but how much you need Jesus matters to the people around you, your family members. The struggle you've had with possessions or envy, bitterness or anger. You see, that's the battle. That's a spiritual battle that we're in. But maybe in your retirement, it doesn't look like that person's retirement. Or maybe this person has a house or multiple houses. Or their relationship looks better or more perfect or they're more successful. You see, sin is a place where where strongholds are built. Unconfessed sin, secret sin. But Jesus saying here is that I love you, I'm pursuing you. When you look at Jesus' life, he sets this man free from the tombs, but he enters the tomb for you and I. He enters the tomb so we can be truly free from sin, Satan, and death. And that is our testimony in Kelowna, in this world, to our friends and our neighbors. Not what we're doing, but what the Lord has done for you and for me and how he's had mercy on us in spite of our brokenness and our sin. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you show us the ways where Satan has held strongholds in our lives? Father, show us the ways where we have drifted away. We'd be people that would confess our sin to you and to others. We live in the light as you're in the light. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.